Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come this morning desiring for you to come and dwell with us again. Lord Jesus, so thankful that you have banished all the fear of hell, as that song has reminded us, Lord Jesus. And so as we come, as we continue to come uh, and worship you this morning, we've worshiped you in, in song, we've worshiped you through what we see you doing in this body as we continue to worship you coming um, under your word this morning that we would um, bring every burden, Lord Jesus, before your throne, that we would see you as the good and faithful daddy that you are, that we would um, come eagerly anticipating what you would have for us, Lord Jesus, that you would um, guard uh, my words from saying anything that is untrue of you, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you would have us, Lord Jesus, that you would um, impress upon us um, the urgency of waiting this morning, and how we ought to wait for you to come again to be with us for the rest of eternity. Lord Jesus, we want to worship you this morning. We love you uh, because you first loved us. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name's Jason. It's my privilege to open up God's Word with you all this morning. Um, we are in a, a two-part, um, three-part sermon series of which we are in the middle of. Um, do we have the slide that uh, Chris used? Yeah. Some sheep. What are you waiting for? Some waiting sheep awaiting a good shepherd of the sheep. I thought that was a good illustration that Chris used last week. Um, Pastor Chris kicked this series off. Um, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go find that online and listen to that message. Um, the first of which it was good. It stirred my heart towards worship. I was half tempted to just play that on loop this morning for us all again, and I could just sit back down and we could just listen to it again because it was good. Um, he also uh, set the stage um, for this, uh, this morning's message and next week's message, and so to get some context about where we're going and where we've been, it'd be great to um, get up to speed on that. And uh, So what, what did we see in, in quick reflection from last week? What did we see? Well, Chris showed us that from the very beginning, all the way back from the book of Genesis, that there is a God who desires to be with us. And that that withness, it, it manifested itself to us physically, spiritually, relationally, directionally. And that after the fall, after man rebelled against God, that all of creation was in waiting. Waiting for the God who was once with humanity to be with them again. And we find ourselves this morning waiting. Now, granted, it looks different than the waiting that was expressed in the Old Testament because God's redemptive plan has continued to unfold. 
what started as a whisper in Genesis chapter 3 has now been in some really significant ways been brought to earth. God with us, the Son of God putting on flesh as the Son of Man, the great Emmanuel. God with us, the long-anticipated Savior of the world. And if you're here this morning and you profess belief in Jesus, you know that he was hung on a tree to purchase all the necessary means for all those who would believe in him to be with him forever. That he was crushed, that he was put to death, that he rose victoriously over the grave three days later and he now sits at the right hand of the Father until he comes again. Some 2,000 years later, we find ourselves waiting. And as I mentioned earlier, the sermon series is entitled, What Are You Waiting For? And if you think about it, in that title is an assumption that we are actually waiting. That there's an idea that is a universal truth that we are all waiting. Whether or not you believe in Jesus, we are all waiting. Because this physical life has an end to it and it's called death. So the question isn't, uh, are we waiting? But actually, what are you waiting for? And Chris answered that question for us last week. What are you waiting for? Jesus. Jesus. If you you believe in Jesus this morning, then Jesus is the one that we ought to be waiting for. Spoiler alert, if you didn't listen to the first message, I think you'll find Jesus there. And as we're going to see in Luke chapter 2, God in His kindness has given us an example so that we might grow in our waiting for Him as we wait beholding Him. So, we're going to look at this man, this man named Simeon. At some point in the sermon, I'm going to call him Simon. I just know it because I did it in the first service, so give me some grace. We're still talking about Simeon, regardless of the name that I use. And we're going to ask, so we're going to look at this guy named Simeon, and we're going to ask two really simple questions of the text this morning. We're going to ask this question, if we are to wait for Jesus, then what does that waiting look like? What does it look like? And then we're going to ask the question, what How does that, excuse me, how does that apply to our lives today as people who are waiting? So what does it look like and simply how does that apply to our life living in northern Colorado uh, two weeks from Christmas? So I'm going to reread the text. Um, If you're not there, go ahead and open your Bibles. Meet me in Luke chapter 2. We begin in verse 25 and we're going to be here the rest of the morning. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, not to be confused with Simon. And his, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him by his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So, Jesus is born. His father, Joseph, his mother, Mary, they bring him into the temple to get him circumcised, as was the custom, and they just so happen to meet Simeon, a righteous and devout man. We don't know some things about Simeon, although they're speculated. Some people have speculated that he was a priest amongst the people of God in Israel. Some people have speculated that he could have been as old as 113 years of age when he first met Jesus on this day. The reality is we don't know either of those things. We only know what is expressed in the passage. But the reality is what's expressed in the passage, there is lots to learn about Simeon. We see right away that he is a man that was waiting. Actually, that there are several similarities between this man, Simeon, who waited, and, for, and you and I who are waiting today. Between what his waiting required of him and what will be needed for us to traverse this life waiting for Jesus. So, let's get to it then. What observations can we make about Simeon, and what do they tell us about what it looks like to wait? Observation number one, Simeon is a man of belief, of specific beliefs, actually. Not general beliefs, but this text shows that he has very specific beliefs, anchored in a specific object. Specific beliefs anchored in a specific object, and the text tells us who that object is. It's Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God as revealed in the Old Testament. So what do we see Simeon believing about this God? List of them. We'll go through them real quick. We see that he believes in righteousness and dedication, verse 25a. We see that he believes that God is the source of true and perfect comfort, verse 25b. That phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation comes from the same Greek word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 times to describe God as the God of all comfort. So we see Simeon believing that as well, that God is the God of all comfort, verse 25b. We see that Simeon believed the promises that God has given him, verse 26. We see that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, verse 28. We see that Simeon believed that he was a servant unto his master, verse 29a. We see that he believed that God was the ultimate place to find peace, even in light of death, verse 29b. We see that he believed that Jesus was the Savior for the whole world, verse 30 through 32. These are just some of the beliefs that Simeon has. All of these statements and actions are statements grounded in belief. Specific statements, 
grounded in specific beliefs, grounded in a specific object, the God as revealed in Scripture. So what do we see concerning our waiting? It takes belief. And not general belief like, yeah, okay, I I can get behind the idea of God as I see Him. Specifically, this time of year, our culture piggybacks onto a lot of Christian beliefs, do they not? Consider some of the holiday signs that you might see as you drive around town. Some of the hashtags that our culture promotes during the Christmas season. Things like hope. Hashtag hope. Hashtag love. Peace. Mercy. Joy. Anybody seen any of those signs around town? We've got one on our porch that says joy. So it's an awesome sign. And they, they aren't necessarily bad, but they could be described as general beliefs. Simeon is a man that has specific beliefs. And they're specific beliefs anchored in an object, the perfect character of God. Because the reality is, as good as it is for people to accept and can get behind the bag wagon of hashtag love or appreciate the sign that says hope, those things are meaningless unless they're rooted in the God of love. The God of hope, the God of mercy, and the God of joy. We also see that this belief that is specific, rooted in God, this faith, it worked its way out into the life of Simeon. So it wasn't just theoretical. It wasn't just some abstract head knowledge, some coffee-sipping conversation points that you pull off the shelf when it's interesting to chat about. Put them back up when you're done with them. They're beliefs that showed up in the life of Simeon because faith and belief is active. It bears fruit. Consider the book of James. Consider for a moment, Simeon is told that he will see the Christ prior to death, and yet where is he? What seems to be Simeon's demeanor towards the reality that the God of all creation will bring about a promise? Is it it apathy in the text? Is it laziness? Not at all. It's action. It's engagement in God's promises, dedicated pursuit in the temple, pursuing righteousness. Waiting for Jesus takes belief, and that belief ought to work its way out into our lives. thinking about this idea of waiting this week as I was thinking about this text and thinking about our sermon series and the idea of waiting has a passive connotation to me in my head. Like it's a negative connotation and it's, it's passive. Waiting is a passive thing. And I, and I struggled with that a little bit in preparing this message because I, I'm just not a waiter by nature. I'm a doer. Now Simeon 
is waiting, and in the presence of waiting, he believes, and his belief is active. And that belief was specific, and it was grounded in the perfect character of God, and that belief showed up in his life. That's observation number one. Observation number two, Simeon was a man of dependence. Simeon was a man that relied on something other than himself. That's the definition of dependence. Relying on something other than himself. But it wasn't just general dependence. It was specific dependence. Finding aid and relief in a specific object. Consider what the text says about Simeon. We'll go through a list of these things relatively quickly for the sake of time. Simeon was said to be righteous, devout, patient, and God-seeking because the Spirit of God was upon him, verse 25. Simeon was dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal to him the promise of seeing the Christ prior to death, verse 26. Simeon was dependent on the, the Holy Spirit to lead him to the place where he would meet Jesus in the temple, verse 27. Simeon was dependent on God to reveal to him the enfolding of the Gentile people into the household of God. Verse 32, these are just some of the things that this text shows us about Simeon's dependence. What do we see concerning our waiting? It takes dependence. But not general dependence to anyone or anything to just help us out. It takes specific dependence. Acknowledgement that our need to be saved and redeemed is greater than any other need that we have. It takes specific dependence anchored in a specific object. That is the, the glorious Christ, the Advent King, who by his wounds we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, where we can now, because of our King's covering, join with him and him with us. Consider the idea of waiting. It also, to me, has a weak and a helpless connotation to it. And oh, how true that is. Starting back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world and death followed in after it, humanity has been waiting. And without Emmanuel, without God's directional pursuit to be with us, we wait helplessly. Romans chapter 3 paints this picture that we are unwilling and unable, guilty and helpless to stand before a perfect God and receive anything but the payment of our sin. That's the first big reality of the gospel. But what's the second? Our God came. Our God is the God Emmanuel. God with us, where God broke into his creation. John chapter 1, verse 14. I think Pat's teaching on this next week, potentially. The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. The sovereign holy of holies emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. 
because our God didn't wait. Following the same words of condemnation and death were the words of active promise. Where page after page, this text reveals God's active movement towards his perfect solution towards our problem. Step by step, communicating and reiterating his desire to be with us. Each part of Scripture giving us a clearer and clearer picture of his physical, spiritual, relational, and directional pursuit of his people. Thousands of years of waiting. Countless number of object lessons. Hundreds of prophecies, numerous stories, thousands of people, and they all find their yes when this little baby comes to earth. That is why we celebrate and remember Christmas. God's advent, God's arrival, because our God, he didn't wait, he came. And his coming marked yet again his faithfulness to his word, that he is faithful to bring about all that he has promised. And we are people that sit between two huge promises. The promise of the past and the promise of the future. And if we want to be people who desire to eagerly anticipate with joy in the midst of suffering, in the, with joy in the midst of sorrow, look eagerly towards the, the, the second promise, we ought to often remember the first. If we want to believe that he is faithful in the future, then let us remember that he was faithful in the past and he will accomplish what he has promised in the future. That is is why we celebrate Christmas. What are you waiting for? Maybe get real in your business. What are you waiting for this morning? We've looked at two observations, simple observation of Simeon's waiting. We've seen that it takes specific belief in a specific object, the God of the Bible, and that it also takes specific dependence in a specific object, dependence that shows our need and that God's the only remedy. So how, how do those two truths, belief and dependence, how do those two things intersect our lives today? As we walk in northern Colorado, towards Christmas. Maybe you're like me, and you want to continue that belief and believe that God is the ultimate place of peace and rest like Simeon did. 
in this text. Specific belief anchored in a specific object, God. You want to believe that, and yet I'm found daydreaming often about circumstantial things that might give me rest. Maybe you can relate. Right now, the kick that I'm on is slot car racing. Anybody heard of it? Some, some of you are too shameful to raise your hands. Yeah, we got some people over here. That's, it's awesome, huh? Okay, right now, I want to um, reorganize my basement and build a large-scale slot car racing track in my basement. If you're in my community group, you've already seen the blueprints, all right? And I want to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of thousands of dollars in this and time to put this together so that me and my son and my friends can, can spend time doing, uh, you know, racing cars around the track, like, you know, eight lanes, not two lanes, eight lanes, and, and have a, you know, you know, big scoreboard and do all these different things because I believe that my detachment from reality is going to give me peace, that that, when I get it completed, is actually going to give me rest from all of the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis in this life. That that is going to give me peace, detachment, or escapism, not belief that leads me towards active attachment to the real source of peace, which is Christ. Maybe... You want to continue to believe that God is the ultimate place of peace and rest, and yet there's been a disconnect between your belief and your actions because you've filled your calendar so full of good Christmas celebrations that you're indirectly, you aren't going to celebrate the God of peace at all this season. Believing That getting all the things checked off your to-do list is going to bring you peace. Believing and anticipating in the perfect Christmas. Not believing that you already have the perfect Savior. Maybe you want to continue to believe that God is the ultimate place of peace, but there's a, there's a disconnect between your belief and your actions and you scheduling time with difficult relationships or family members around the Christmas season. Because you believe isolating yourself from them is actually peaceful to you. Not that God might, in his providence and his goodness and in his character, administer peace into your relationships. Maybe you want to continue to cultivate a heart of dependence on God to cultivate your family's hearts towards worship. Maybe you desire that. But in your heart of hearts, you have an attitude that's like, if we would all just agree to do this as a family, if we would all just agree to do it together, it'd be a perfect Christmas. In other words, trusting that your plan and your intentionality, although good, you still need God to show up. Maybe you want to to continue to believe that God is the, is the Savior of the world, that we want to, we want to, we want to sing songs to that reality and we want to, we want to theoretically uh, believe it. 
but a danger during the Christmas season that I have found that I have found in my own home, that I've found in my own heart, is that we put lots of time and energy into gathering and celebrating with other saints. And we forget to spend time engaging or serving non-believers around us, forgetting that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What are you waiting for? This has been um, God's providence in me standing up here speaking to myself in all of the above points of application. Every single one of those that I gave, which is just some of the points of application that this text gives, I wrestle with personally. Emily and I wrestle with in our own home. Every single one of them. And my desire in communicating that to you all isn't to be um, throwing condemnation upon you. I don't want and desire to be a huge downer for you this Christmas season. That's not my heart. That's not my desire. But my desire is... To be a man, to be a man and his wife and a, and a home and to a, a church body that believes. I want that belief to press its way out into my life. I want to be a man and I want to have a wife and I want to have a home and I want to be a ch- part of a church body that desperately sees our need and our dependence for God to show up. Even in light of all the good things that we're doing. Hear my heart on that, please. We're going we're gonna to close doing something pretty abnormal, a little different. Pat's my inspiration on this since he led us with a big cheer a couple weeks ago. If you missed that, you really missed out. I'd like to take a moment of some self-reflection. In, in months, all the busyness, I've talked to some of you, and if you talk to me, you got the same answer, so there's no condemnation here. It's like, hey, how you doing? Well, I've been busy. <laughs> yeah, me too. Let me tell you how busy I've been. Okay. In, in light of all the things that are going on, and some of which are very good, let's just take a moment of, of in, um, self-reflection and just ask, God, In this text, is there something here that you are prompting me to act in belief and dependence this Christmas season in? And I'm going to ask that you write that down, if there is something. And then here's the rub. I'm going to ask that you might actually share that with your community group so that they could enter in with you and pray and come alongside you in it. Does that make sense? So we're going to just take two minutes of some self-reflection and just ask between you and the Lord, is there something here that we can, by God's grace, hold on to in belief and dependence? And then I'm going I'm to close us in praying and we're going to continue in worshiping the God that deserves all of our worship through song with Chris. So take a moment. If you need a piece of paper, there ought to be one in front of you.
Lord Jesus, it is my desire that we would be, that I would be a person that is sensitive towards your Spirit's leading and the conviction that you, for my good, cause. And uh, so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we sit here and simply reflect on uh, our beliefs and the way that those beliefs can show up in our life, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not be people that are moved towards condemnation or shame, Lord Jesus, but that we would find great um, great confidence, great peace, great assurance, great hope, great comfort in the reality that you have you have redeemed us, Lord Jesus. If we have believed in you, if we believed in your gospel, Lord Jesus, that you have redeemed us and you see us as um, your perfect, spotless son and daughter. God, that we would not be motivated out of a heart um, to earn anything or to get anything from you. God, that we would just continue to be moved because of what you have already done, Lord Jesus, as we greatly anticipate what you will do in the future. God, continue to be kind and relentlessly pursue me. Pursue us and continue to move us in greater degrees of sanctification for your glory and may we take the good news of the gospel out from this place, Lord Jesus, that we would would see the needs in this community, that we would see Uh, the people that live within our neighborhoods and the people that we work with, Lord Jesus, as having the greatest need, that we would be so moved by what you have done in this Christmas season that we would have no other option but to be sensitive to your spirit, dependent upon your spirit, and then believe and and share with them the hope of the world, which is fixed in the perfect object, which is you. True hope, true joy, true mercy, true peace, Lord Jesus. We love you. We ask this because of your son and what he has done for us. Amen.